1: Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends nine nineteen. No refunds. Subscription auto renews.
0: Mornings can be slow going. But a $1 fresh ground coffee at Racetrack to get you going all month long with Racetrack Rewards? Yeah, that tracks. $1 small coffee for rewards members valid August 2nd through September 5th. Limited time only. See store for details. Make tracks to racetrack for whatever gets you going.
1: You can crush your fingers and all your toes during a data center migration. You can knock on wood, pluck a dozen four-leaf clovers, or look to your lucky stars for a successful office expansion. You could hold your breath, shut your eyes, and say all the world wishes to help avoid cyber attacks. But none of that truly helps you. Because next-level moments need the next-level network with the security, reliability, and expertise to take your business further. AT&T Business, the network you can rely on.
0: This week on Red Inca, we talk about two of the most famous athletes of the 1990s, Michael Jordan and Sachin Tendulkar legacies, eras, workloads, coaches, marketplaces, and so much more, with
1: Siddhartha Vaidyanathan, freelance writer and editor, and uh, soon-to-be-published author as well.
0: Sidvi lives in Seattle, which once had a basketball team, so he knows a little bit about the sport, and he's also a Bangalore boy, which is like Mumbai, but has better beer. So we go really deep looking at these two incredible figures from the 1990s. So I've got you on to talk about Michael Jordan and Sachin Tendulkar because you've written a piece about them recently. I find it kind of interesting. You start with Michael Jordan being the last great sports star from the pre-internet age. But what's very interesting for me is that Sachin Tendulkar was a great sports star from the pre-internet age and the satellite age and the post-internet age. I mean, he played for so long. He's got so many ages.
1: Yeah, for us in India, actually, it didn't matter that uh, the internet was still absent or at its infancy when Tendulkar was playing because we had TV and we had uh, newspapers. Everyone was covering him all the time. With Jordan, it made a big difference because uh, we were not seeing much of him until 1995. In fact, any of him. We only saw the Barcelona Olympics, as I said, in 92 when they that was the probably the first time a lot of us saw Michael Jordan play a live match. So apart from that, Indian newspapers then didn't really cover that much of NBA. You had like the odd small news piece here and there saying the Chicago Bulls win third NBA title. But you never really had detailed reports. You Occasionally, you'll have somebody picking up an agency interview uh, with Jordan in a sports magazine. And that was like a huge deal to just read that. But yeah, so that was the reason I brought in the pre-internet age for Jordan. Why did you think about writing the piece about Jordan and, and Tindulka together? both of them were so huge in the 90s. Jordan was huge because uh, we didn't see much of him. So he was just huge in our heads. And we knew that there's this guy who's like the greatest basketball player of all time, but we didn't see much of him. So it was all, you know, little bits here and there that you hear from people, uh, people who visit from America and things. And then I thought that, you know, Tendulkar, on the other hand, was always in our heads, because we're watching him, we're seeing him, we're talking about him, we have so many memories of him. So I just thought it'd be nice to do the contrast from an Indian perspective of what we thought of the two great athletes of that time, and especially the 90s, where Rahul Dravid and Ganguly had not yet come in till 96, at least in international cricket. So it was Sachin for a long, long time as the biggest star in Indian cricket. It's quite interesting looking back to think that he had
0: 24-hour news coverage before we lived
1: in that world. Yes, he did. <laughs> and everyone used to cover him. You know, you watch a game and then you go to school the next day and each one of us is writing our own reports of Sachin, right? I mean, of course, it's not published, but everyone was talking Sachin at that time. And and I, I'm talking when I was in my teenage years and it was all cricket, all Sachin. He was all over our mind space
0: you write about the fact that michael jordan sitting on it on his chair with his tequila i thought it was bourbon but tequila beside him according to you looking at the ipad and reacting to all these people it's an incredible scene because when you bring up tendulkar at that moment it's just like where would he be sitting what would his <laughs> scene be i'll tell you a really interesting story that's kind of a side note but and this is a hell of a name drop, but I was in Lalit Modi's house at one stage. Wow, (laughs) I was there and he had the most incredible liquor cabinet of any human being I've ever seen. And we started filming in front of it. And so I made reference to it and he said, yes, but of course those are all for my guests. And then (laughs) when you did the thing of, you know, Jordan sitting there, having a drink, looking at the iPad, I thought, you couldn't even get to to have a drink beside him, could you, in that situation? There's no way Never. to relax him. How would you even get him to relax?
1: It's really odd. I mean, I met Tendulkar, in fact, in 2014. Tendulkar was in uh, New York, along with Shane Warne, too, for this uh, T20 veteran series that they were marketing. Uh, and they were talking about it, like the future of cricket in America and things. Just complete nonsense, if you think of it. But, you know, they were there. And before the before the series, before those three games, I got a chance to meet him. And we were in this hotel room where he was, uh, you know, staying. And there was pretty much nothing in that room. I didn't even see a bag. I mean, it was probably somewhere inside. But in that space that we were in, it was just Tendulkar sitting on a sofa, me sitting opposite him. And that was it. Everything else was blank space. And that sort of tells you a lot about him. It's like him and the rest is just space for him to move around, walk around. And I've heard also a lot of stories about how even when he was playing, his hotel room was like the cleanest room among all the players. Very, very spick and span, everything in its place. There used to be this little shrine that he used to have in his room, like, you know, photos of a few gods and things where he used to pray. And then his kit bag always packed, nothing on the floor, nothing like the bed made. And I think uh, that's the contrast with him and uh, Jordan. I mean, Jordan probably had a clean room as well, but he had this $1,800 bottle of tequila right next to him on that seat.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it would have been clean except for all the cigar ash everywhere, I oh, suppose, yeah. <laughs> which is also something else you wouldn't see Tendulka involved in. You basically hint, I know that you quite come out and say it, but you basically hint that The Last Dance wouldn't work on Tendulka.
1: No, I don't think so. It would be so, so different. I mean, I I can't see, like, uh, that particular scene that you just spoke about, you know, he takes this iPad, he's looking at an interview that Gary Payton is talking about, and here, it's almost like here's this supernatural being. He's looking at, like, a human being, but here's this god, and he's like, ha, 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 ha. He's like, what are these mortals talking about? Like, nobody gave me trouble. I had no problem with them, kind of thing. And I just felt that in that particular scene, Jordan was both villain and hero at the same time. I mean, he's a guy who's actually laughing at a fellow player, which Tendulkar obviously has never done in his whole life. But at the same time, he's also saying that, hey, whatever he did, I just won. And, uh, you know, that was a real interesting moment for me, which Tendulkar would never, never be in a million years, would never find himself in.
0: As we record, Boria, one of our... Um colleagues in the press box. <laughs> if you want
1: to be as charitable.
0: I mean, it's very rare you even see him in a press box, to be honest. Weirdly, I mean, he seems to talk a lot about cricket, but never be at many games when I'm around. But he wrote Tendulkar's book, which is not a good read. I don't think I'm being controversial there. ESPN did one of their 30 for 30s on him, which again, did not land. So you've had someone with access to the man not be able to make a good book about him. You've had ESPN and their ESPN-ness not be able to make a good project on him. He's not an easy person to be cinematic and romantic about. And yet, my God, do people line up to say lovely prose about him. And then it just sort of disappears. It's like once you've said the thing about him representing all of India and being in our hearts and minds and everything... There's nothing almost left to say at times. Like, I'm trying to work out, is there a way to make a great book or a great movie on him that someone just hasn't worked out yet? Or is it impossible because of who he is?
1: Well, I'm sure there's a way. I mean, he's infiltrated people's minds to such a degree that there has to be a way in which this, if not for the man himself, the phenomenon, there has to be a way to bring out what he meant. I mean, and Mm. the cliches about all the the economy and the, you know, all the meta-narratives are all fine. They're all coincidences. But what was it about him that made people so insanely mad about just watching him and being around him and talking about him and everything? I, and I'm sure it's possible. Uh, the problem is that um, it's unlikely to come from him. I don't see any way in which a fascinating account of his career will come from him. It has to come from everyone else around him. And I think it's possible if somebody actually takes the pain to speak to the 1,000 or 1,500 people around him and bring out what they saw and what they felt in in a proper journalistic way, I think it's possible. I think people, somebody's just not uh, been at the right place at the right time and had the resources to do it yet.
0: I wonder how much of it is cricket as well. Like, I remember... I think it was here. Bose was at like a, an event once, some sort of book award event. And he was just like, uh, you know, the best book written this year is Andre Agassi. Why don't we write books like that about our sport? And he wasn't talking about cricket. He was actually talking about the UK press. But it kind of fits cricket as a general rule. Outside of perhaps The Edge, which has just happened, we don't have many projects where we get real insight. And it's not like cricketers are idiots, it's not like they don't go through amazing things. You know, as a commentator, you spend a lot more of your time with ex-players and they tell you these incredible stories. And I don't mean incredible stories as in, and then he said, and I threw your wife another biscuit. I mean, like, a player told me a story about having to go out on the field, having just received a phone call about his wife having a miscarriage. Another player telling me about how he was in the hotel bar at 4 a.m. when his grandfather had died and he had to bowl the next. You know, those sorts of things they tell you. There's incredible Stories out there, and then we don't seem to bring it out. So I don't think it's just a Tendulkar thing. It feels like sometimes it's a cricket-wide thing. We don't get to those stories every now, which is probably why when Ed Cowan or Simon Hughes or even Akash Chopra, when those books come out, people go a bit googly-eyed for them. And I'm not saying they're not very good books, but they're not on the level of Andre Agassiz's book if you're comparing them. But we have we don't seem to get there. Is that something within cricket? Do you think or?
1: it could be i think uh, yeah you're right i mean some of the best books of on cricket have come from players who have not necessarily become great players the strugglers who have understood their limitations and who've, who've actually gone through quite an intense process of uh, self-evaluation mm. through it i mean akash chopra is an interesting case once after he was dropped from the team he tried so hard to get back that he got himself into a close to a depression because that mm. he was just not enjoying himself at all. He was just obsessed with getting back to the Indian team. And so he went through those two years of real churn. And then he came out of it and he said, bugger it, I don't care. And I'm just going to enjoy myself. And then he had the best first class season he's ever had. And he came very close to being in the Indian team then. And then he wrote this book, which was a diary of that season. And even in the book, he said, bugger it. Because, I mean, we spoke about Jordan being the last great sportsman in the pre-internet age. This book is probably the last honest book in the age of the BCCI, because this came out in 2008. That's mm. pretty much when the IPL came out, right? The IPL started and then the BCCI just went uh, into this uh, behemoth of an organization. But in, if you read that book, it's like has almost every second page is a criticism of the BCCI and the board and the first class mm. structure. And he's leveling serious criticisms against his own employer, which will never happen now. No, you're right. I hadn't even thought about that. So, yeah, I think, you know, for someone like Agassi, I think is even an exception in tennis. I don't really think this is a tennis thing because, you know, I've read uh, some tennis biographies which are quite bland in themselves. So I think Agassi is a very, very freak case of, an, mm. of a really great player coming out and being so brutally honest about his own career.
0: Yeah, but you are the expert on books because you've just written a novel called What's Wrong With You, Karthik? See what I did there? Did you see the seamless segue
1: that we had? <laughs> that was as smooth as it gets. <laughs>
0: but I couldn't help but notice that on the book cover, there's a quote by Raul Dravid,
1: but nothing by Tendulkar. <laughs> well, to be honest, this it's a book set in Bangalore. Yeah, so <laughs> I was keen that uh, people from Bangalore uh, read it. And uh, Raul Dravid, of course, is one of the most famous citizens of Bangalore. And I took a total chance. I hadn't spoken to Raul Dravid in a long time. And I took a chance. And I, I had his email address from long ago. And I said, hey, I've written this book. Would you be interested in reading it? And then I said, hey, great work with the Indian juniors and all the work that they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. And then he actually replied and said, uh, hey, I'd be happy to read it. And then I said, OK. <laughs> so then I sent him the manuscript. And obviously, I sent him the manuscript. And I said, OK, he's just being polite. And I said, okay, forget about it. And then there was a point when the book was going to be published and I needed people to provide me endorsements for the cover. So I said, okay, I'm going to take this one final chance and I'm going to say, hey, my book is going to be pressed in a week. Have you by any chance read this book? And then he got back the next day and he said, hey, I was going to write back to you. I read it. I loved it. And um, here's my endorsement. Like, Wow. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) Is there cricket in the book? Yes, there is cricket in the book. Well, it's a book where the lead character is a 12-year-old. It's set in his school and at home, and so there is cricket in the school. School cricket was really big in Bangalore then, as I'm sure it is even now. And so, yes, there is an inter-school match, which gets pretty thrilling.
0: <laughs> I've got a great way of bringing us back to our original topic from there, <laughs> which is... Oh, my God, I just realised the absolute clang of names I keep bringing up here. Ridiculous. So I had a conversation with Wright Thompson a couple of years ago in the press box. I think he might have been writing that piece about test match cricket at Mm Lords, And I think India were playing in that test.
1: 2011, right? When the thousandth test happened or something like that.
0: 2011, you're right. And so he was there writing about that. And we were actually watching Tindul Gabbat and Dravid came up. And he was like, I'm not going to write about Dravid, but just can you explain Dravid to me in a really easy way? And I I took a pause and I went, Scotty Pippen.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and right just nodded like and just went around and went straight back to it. Like I think that's where you start to realise how big Jordan and Tendulkar are. And which is why I found your piece really interesting. Because there's a satellite of people around them. If that makes sense. Like there's sort of this extra world of people and you know, you start to know who their agent is and you start to know things about their father and their super fans and all these sorts of things that come from that doesn't happen with normal, even great athletes in the way that it has with Jordan and Tendulkar.
1: And the thing with Pippin and Dravid is like when they were growing up, when they were starting out playing basketball in their formative years and when Dravid was playing cricket, they were already looking up to Jordan and Tendulkar respectively. I mean, when, by the time Dravid made his first class uh, debut, or, or by the time he was a serious first class cricketer, Tendulkar was already like a megastar. And so, obviously, he would have already been looking up and watching Tendulkar closely. And I'm pretty sure the same thing happened with Pippin in the late 80s. By that time, Jordan was, like, the best player in the league. So, even though they would have got to stages in their career where they were probably... I don't know if Pippin was ever better with Jordan, but I'm sure there were phases in the leagues when he was pretty equal in terms of uh, the effect that he had on games. You would very rarely put him above Jordan because it was almost like a superstructure of Jordan and Tendulkar, and then everyone else just finding their ways in. But you're right. I think it's a very valid comparison. I think Subhash wrote a piece as well about how Dravid is the other banana, or uh, the second banana, just like Pippin was.
0: Of course he did. Well, I'm just going to go out and say that he probably stole that from me and I hate him uh, for it.
1: Well, you guys are you guys have something going on, so it shouldn't matter anyway. We, we certainly do. Another reason I found that interesting is
0: looking back at your piece, it made me think about Jordan and, you know, for those who aren't basketball fans or haven't seen The Last Dance, all eight of you haven't seen The Last Dance. <laughs> there's a famous basketball game where the Bulls are playing the, the Pistons in a conference championship and Scotty Pippen gets a migraine. Now, migraines are one of those things that, do you get migraines?
1: I've got migraines, yeah, sometimes,
0: yeah. So someone who doesn't get migraines. I always think back injuries and migraines are the two things that are sort of the hardest to explain to someone else because until you've had them. I've never had migraines, so I don't get it, but I have had really bad back problems. And sometimes it's like a doctor can look at you and not tell you what's wrong with you, but you can't move your body. And that's basically how Scotty Pippen is explaining the migraine. He's saying he can't see. And, of course, you cut to Jordan, and Jordan is laughing at him, essentially, and going, yeah, migraine game, you know. The difference between the way that Tendulka would handle that
1: and Jordan, they're not even the same species of person at that point. That point then, you say when Jordan is told about that migraine game, it's almost like he's telling the interviewer that we all know that it's total nonsense. <laughs> 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 and he can afford to say that because, you know, he's had 104 degrees temperature and he's actually gone out there and played a game and won the team a game. So I think that's where Jordan's coming from he's coming from the position of saying that I can say anything I want to anybody mm-hmm. because I have pushed myself and stretched myself more than any of these other guys have Tendulkar on the other hand it wouldn't cross him because even though he might have done that even though he played that game he, he made that 100 against Pakistan with like a, his back almost broken you know but he would at no point of time has he ever come out and spoken about the fact that he was injured. And he's never spoken about it as if he was a victim. He's always only regretted the fact that he couldn't win the game for India. In a Jordanian sense, first of all, Michael Jordan would probably have won that game. (laughs) (laughs) Even with no back, he would have probably won that game. That was him. But secondly, even if he hadn't, there would be ways in which Jordan would look back at it and tell people exactly how ridiculous they were when he was just busting his gut. Janduka would never do that. I mean, he got out when India needed 17 runs and had like four wickets of five wickets in hand and then they all just fell. But mm-hmm. he's never turned around and said, you guys let me down. He's only said, I was surprised and I was, was astonished that we didn't win that game. But he's never pointed fingers at anyone and doubted them anytime, which is ironic because he played at a time when match fixing was quite rampant. <laughs> and if anyone can point fingers, it's him. But he's never done that.
0: But another thing I found really interesting when I was reading it, I was thinking about where Tindulka is in the Pantheon, if you will. So Jordan comes on the back of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, and he's quite clearly better than both of them. And they're both incredible players. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is coming to the end of his career at that point as well. And Jordan is just so quickly the best player in the game with individual skills. And then within, what, five years, six years, whenever it was, he's then the best player that has ever lived from a team perspective, you know, going championship after championship. So that is so clear and so cut in a way that test cricket doesn't allow you to be. So I was thinking about it. He outlasted Lara and Ponting, but Lara played more iconic innings that we will never be able to forget. and. As good as Tenduka was, I'm not sure he ever played in innings as good, maybe in the top three of Lara's, even if he maybe played 30 better than Lara. or well, 30 as good as Lara in every other way. And then Ponting had more of an impact in each individual innings. Not to say that Ponting didn't have a better bowling attack, but he did have more of an impact the way he played. We haven't even got to the second generation guys of Callis and Kumar, who both averaged ridiculous numbers. Even now, like just on the back of that, you then have Steve Smith come through. And if you think about Jordan, as I said, he had Magic and Larry just before him, Kareem maybe just before that, and then you've got Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe, who overlapped with him as well, and then you had LeBron. LeBron's the only one that you could even have a proper conversation about all of this with. And I haven't mentioned bowlers yet. I haven't mentioned McGrath, Ambrose, Murali, Warren, Wazim, Dale Stane. As much as Sachin is sort of slightly above the field, it's not a similar relationship to cricket that Jordan has with basketball, is it?
1: No, it's not. I think the only time, I I was reading some articles from 1988 and 1989, when Jordan was basically five years into his career already, easily the best player in the NBA, but still hadn't won a championship. 88 and 89 was when the Detroit Pistons were, each time they, they sh- the Bulls would go to the conference finals and they'd get beaten by the Pistons. And the Pistons had this, as they mentioned in the last dance, the Jordan rules. Basically, they just say that, hey, we take care of Jordan and we just bet that the rest won't be able to beat us. So, with this parallel, which pretty much what many teams probably did against India and Sachin mm. in the 90s, they said, we'll focus our attention on Sachin and once we get him out, we know we're going to win the match. And You know, Wasim Akram has said that explicitly in certain times after games when he said, we just want to get Sachin out, we knew we'll win the game. But I think once he won that championship, once Scottie Pippen came in and once the Bulls won that first championship, then there was absolutely nothing that was stopping Jordan. I mean, he was then on an ascent like none other. But Sachin never got on that ascent the way Jordan did. Jordan won three titles in a row and then he came back and he won three more titles in a row. Sachin, neither did they have that kind of a team that could go on such a run. I mean, India never were that good, uh, mm. even though uh, towards the end of his career, they did win one World Cup. But, you know, that's nowhere in comparison to what Jordan has had achieved. I mean, we're talking about an Australian cricket kind of a juggernaut that the Bulls got on. Yeah. You know, winning matches everywhere, test series on a row and uh, World Cups. Sachin just didn't have that team to do it. You can compare and say that he wasn't probably... Chasing, there's still people who say that in the 2003 World Cup final when India were chasing 360, he shouldn't have got out for a cheap score. I'm like, chasing 360 in 2003, what are you talking about, man?
0: <laughs> Tell you what, there are a few games where people remember it as differently as what actually occurred. Like, the amount of stuff I've heard from people is just like, I was there. It was ridiculous the way Australia batted. They were on a level that no one else was on. And then, as you said, you've then got to go out and face McGrath straight away. I mean, exactly. Good luck, everyone. (laughs) And Brett Lee was in his prime probably then as well. Warren and Gillespie didn't play in that tournament. And Australia (laughs) was still like that. You know, as good as Andy Bickle and Brad Hogg were, they're not Shane Warren and Jason Gillespie. But there's also the whole leadership thing. I mean, a lot of the last dance is really about what a bully he becomes and him trying to deal with him being a bully. There's some really honest moments, I think, within that documentary. Cricket is where leadership is so much more important than basketball. And I would argue that if there's anything that we get wrong The most in cricket is talking about captaincy because I think we all see captaincy as our own little, you'll see it as leadership and someone else will see it as strategy and someone else will see it as diligence off fear, all these different little things. Whereas actually, it's obviously a combination of all of them, which is why Mike really wrote the book. There is a reason why it's an entire book because it it is, you probably wouldn't write an entire book on being a captain of a basketball team because (laughs) you wouldn't need to. Whereas (laughs) you definitely do in cricket and there's probably been 10 books like that. But, and it all comes back to, as you said before, the Indian team wasn't that good around him, but a lot of the taint around his career is from the leadership part of it, isn't it? It's not the batting. Everyone liked the batting and the bowling was fun occasionally. The odd bit of great fielding as well. You can't really question him as a cricketer, but as a leader, that's where the sort of the questions start to come in.
1: I think so. But I think there are also questions as a batsman. There are a lot of people who genuinely believe that, as the cliche goes, he didn't score when it matters. And uh, it's hard to even uh, explain what that means, but according to general perception, it's like fourth innings of a test match. What's his average? World Cup knockout games, what's his average? They pick these moments towards the end of a tournament or towards the end of a test match or towards the end of a series and say that, hey, he hasn't done this, this, and this. So there is that, but yes, leadership, absolutely. I mean, uh, I don't think there's even a question there. Everyone agrees that he was nowhere as good a captain as India needed at that point of time. And he himself has said that it probably was really wrong timing because he was there when he was by far and away the best batsman in the team. And it would have been very difficult for him to understand what somebody like first-class cricketer who's in his third game, really, really fighting for his place, you know, under so much pressure. It would have been really hard for him to even... Understand and come to terms with what that was. So, I think people around him have spoken about how being so good had a negative impact on his captaincy.
0: I remember years ago, and I can't remember which book it's in, but it's in one of the books about Michael Jordan. It might be the Sam Smith one, but one of the ones I read a lot as a teenager was there's a story about Phil Jackson going to Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan keeps passing the ball to Bill Russell, and it just keeps bouncing off Bill Russell. Bill Russell was a really good player when he was young. By the time he got to the Bulls, he was just kind of tall. He kind of lost all of his flexibility <laughs> and Jordan was already angry at Bill Russell for a bunch of different reasons. He was traded for his friend. And once the triangle offense came, he didn't want to give the ball to Bill Russell, all these scenes, but Jordan's throwing the ball and it's just bouncing off Bill Russell. And Phil Jackson just goes to him and goes, you're throwing the pass. Like he's you. He's <laughs> yeah. not going to be able to catch that. If you're throwing that to yourself, you'd be able to catch that. And you see that with great players who become really ordinary coaches They really struggled to connect with the up-and-coming players and not just the up-and-coming, but you and I know this. Most players are flawed in many, many, many different ways. I always go back to Paul Collingwood as a perfect example of a guy who had about three shots at test level. Now, Paul Collingwood at first-class level and at club level was an absolute stud. Once he got to test level, he could basically shovel the ball to leg side, right? (laughs) And that's not having a go at him, but he didn't have the ability to play all those other shots. Mm Mm-hmm that's what most players are like to a certain point. I think that it would be very hard if you are Tendulkar or Jordan to be able to factor that in, unless you have someone like Phil Jackson around, which you would argue that Indian cricket never quite had that kind of figure.
1: No, no, never. And also the 90s, even the whole of the 2000s. I mean, coaching was far different from what it is now. And I think over the last 10 years is when people have actually understood what coaching entails and all the data and everything that's coming in, stuff that you work with. But before that, I think a lot of it was man management. It was uh, you know setting up nets and making sure the captain doesn't have to worry about practice, making sure that uh, players uh, get individual attention in terms of what kind of practice they need and those things. It's clear when you see the last dance that even by the 90s, the coaching in the NBA had already reached quite a serious, sophisticated level. People were talking that tactics and the strategies that they're talking is actually like really granular level compared to what you have in i mean that's probably what cricket is talking about in the last six or seven years now once all the numbers and the data has come in so and the other thing that i wanted to say is yeah i mean about the previous point about how there was one former india player who had a very short career but who actually and who had a great first class career and who told me an anecdote about how He was in the middle once and he batted probably like 35 balls for like eight or nine runs. And then he got out and uh, he came back. And then, you know, later in the day, Tendulkar, who was the captain then, and who said, "Uh, you didn't put all the loose balls away. You got too many loose balls and you didn't put them away. And he's like, what he thinks is a loose ball. It's probably not a loose ball for me. And here I am, I'm fighting for my place and my mental state is like totally different from his. But there's no way in which he was going to connect to that because Sachin never had to worry about his place in the team. He was never under doubt, right? And I think that's the big, big factor. And you're right, a a coach might have really, really helped. Like a coach that you have now in modern times, had India had it then, that would have really helped. But back then, it was so rudimentary. VVS Lakshman writes in his autobiography about when he made his debut, which was 1996, in the Nets, you clearly had seniors and juniors. The seniors would bat first. And the juniors just had to wait around or they had to bowl. And then towards the second half of the Nets, the juniors would take over and the seniors would just be gone by then. And it would just be juniors, just and maybe some uh, boys at the Nets, the net bowlers coming in and bowling to them and things like that. And, you know, that's 96 we're talking about. And by which time you would think that coaching would have moved on and uh, players would be training better.
0: Well, Bob Simpson's essentially the first international coach, isn't he? And he's, yeah. what, late 80s, I think. And I think it might be in Athos's book, or maybe Athos told the story recently about the fact that he would go on tour and like the management would go and play golf and it would be the <laughs> captain's job to set up the net. So it is completely different. I mean, the interesting thing I suppose about Sachin that we maybe haven't talked about that much is you could make an argument about Lara and Ponting, as I did before, and can talk about some of the other guys he played with. The fact that he played throughout all those eras at the level that he did i mean i know it's taking the stuart broad argument and really stretching it but to be great in the 80s and to be great in the 2000s when the game had changed as much as it did and the information had changed and the pictures had changed it was a completely different games who grew up with that on its own is a phenomenal thing because i can't think of another era where the game has changed as much as it has in the last 20 years
1: yeah absolutely i mean when he started in 89, I mean, one-day cricket was a game that nobody knows anymore. 210, 220 was like huge scores. They're like big scores. People used to say tall totals and things that for 220. What's 220 now? Rohit Sharma scoring 264 by off his own bat. But, but yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, he played at a time when, um, you know, people like Javed Miandad and Viv Richards and guys were still playing. And he was able to, I wouldn't say he was at their level, but he was able to match the quality at that time and he continued to match it for 23 24 years and uh, even when rohit sharma was playing and virat kohli was playing he was still really good so it just shows and and if you see like year to year i'm pretty sure somebody has made this comparison it's probably uh, cricketing view because he's the one who's made the, <laughs> written the most about these things but if you see year to year through careers tendulkar's baseline excellence is just phenomenal there's very 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 few years in which he's dipped and it's almost like he's at the bar is always high and Mm. he either goes way beyond it or he stays at that high level. And you can slice and dice away tests and uh, SENA tests and whatever other filters you want to put in. And you can say, you know, third innings in some random match that he played. He would be pretty good with all those filters because he was really good against West Indies when they were still good, when they were still a powerhouse. Mm. He was really good against Pakistan, that 90s period when uh, they were really good and he was good against australia throughout when they were one of the great teams of that era so winning in south africa was difficult he would go there and make hundreds would make hundreds in england when everyone else would collapse and of course in asia he was exceptional so yeah he's been good across eras across conditions when conditions were really really different also people Mm. forget that places like perth and brisbane were not really easy to bat back then i mean now it's completely different. You can say we're living in a bowler-friendly era. But what I'm trying to say is that the conditions were so varied across different uh, parts of the world than they are now.
0: Yeah. And I think one of the other interesting things is you talk about Jordan having to eat on his own in a restaurant, in his own personal dining room. And there's that story, I can't remember if it's from Wright Thompson's piece or one of the other Big pieces on Jordan about when Princess Di passed away. He was basically his one of his handlers said, "You're now the most famous person on the planet." But he was perhaps more known than Tendulkar was. I don't think he had to deal with the pressure cooker nature of it, and yet it got to him so much so that he didn't just retire once from basketball. He essentially retired twice from basketball. I think he got a lot of positive press. I know there was a lot about the gambling and his father and all those sorts of things. But Tendulkar had to live in a world of pressure that is, I think, unmatched really by any athlete I've ever seen. And I'm not sure we'll ever see anyone else like that. Hopefully for that person, we won't. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Even Kohli doesn't seem to be quite on that level as Indians start to get interested in other things. But I suppose what I'm asking is, you know, the ability to just continue to play in that pressure on itself is a different kind of greatness, isn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you see the last dance, there are distinct phases where you can see Jordan totally tired. There's fatigue that's eating into him. He mentions how he's done, he's had enough when he quits basketball for the first time and goes and becomes a baseballer. It's very, very clear that his body and his mind are just completely tired. And you're talking about a time when Jordan had played probably eight years before his first retirement. He started in 84 and then 93 was pretty much when he was done. So nine years, you can say, when he went. And Tendulkar played 23 years, and I don't think at any point of time, there were obviously brief periods when he felt really down and low, but I don't think at any point of time they even got close to what Jordan went through. And more than that, the fatigue, I mean, it must have been so, so hard for a guy like Sachin. Imagine, here's a guy who, even back in the 90s, had to drive his car at 4 a.m. in the morning because that's Mm -hmm. the only time. He could get out of his house and be by himself. If he had to go to a temple and pray, it had to be like 5 a.m. in the morning. Everything that he did had to be in that tiny bubble. And yet he did did it for 23 years. I mean, that itself is uh, insane as a story.
0: The other thing I look at is that Jordan was undoubtedly one of the most famous people on the planet. And huge in America, obviously, as well. So recently I did a video on my site and I put up an 11 of athletes who weren't cricketers and, you know, said, this is where opening batsmen and, you know, pick basketballers and dog sled track people and finish goalkeepers because that's what I do. And it was interesting watching so many people coming up with their own teams, but how many people from Asia and specifically India would say to me, I don't know how you did this. How do you know about all these other sports? There was one show in town for so much of that time, wasn't there?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there was one show in town. And more than anything, the 90s was still a time when most of India had pretty much limited sources of information. So when I was growing up in India, you would have like one newspaper come home. You would have like two or three channels at the most and all state run channels. This is before satellite TV came in. And then you would have the sports magazines. There were like three or four sports magazines around doing the rounds. I think there were only three by the early 90s. All the people interested in sports would read them. And Tendulkar was there everywhere. He was there in the newspaper. He was there in the magazine. He was there on your TV. If you switched on the radio, you would invariably have some game going on, maybe, or you would hear news of Tendulkar. So everyone, whatever they were taking in, had a bit of Sachin in them. And that's vastly different from now, when you have all these hundreds and hundreds of channels and the internet, more than anything, Mm. and so many newspapers and so much of source of information that, you know, somebody like Virat Kohli is just one among 100 other things. But Sachin wasn't like that. He was the one. And we had nowhere else to go. And we we didn't even feel like going anywhere else because he was so appealing.
0: And one thing that you touched on briefly before, you talked about how Jordan and Tendulkar become the meta-analysis about their careers. Actually, their careers are because of what is already happening in the country and the society and the sports that they're playing, isn't it? But we tend to almost look at it the other way around. It's like Jordan didn't invent the 80s capitalism in America and... (laughs)
1: Jordan had nothing to do with the Gulf Wars, very or the little fall of the Soviet Union. <laughs> a little bit with the
0: Soviets, perhaps, but certainly not the Gulf War. And, you know, same with India, like, you know, this, this proof of our own excellence. I mean, you already had Kapil Dev and Gravaska. Like, it's, a, it's such a weird concept anyway. Everyone has to be fit in. And certainly with both those athletes, we've done that, haven't we?
1: Absolutely. I think there's a lot of retrospective analysis as well. And it, it also sounds cool, it sounds very intellectual though I think it's just coincidence. Okay, Tendulkar started his career in 89. India opened up their economy in 91. And yes, because of economic liberalization, there were, you know, the satellite TV and because spending power increased. Sure, you can say that people had more of a chance to watch Sachin, more people got TVs in, more people, all that is fine, but you can't attribute one to the other. I mean, Sachin's career would have gone on anyway irrespective of whatever it is. I mean, you can say that he became big. There's probably a fraction of his aura and his personality has to do with the economic aspect of it, but that's only one part of it. You can't uh, draw a whole career and you can't superimpose it on the economic conditions there.
0: Last story, there is one part of your piece where you do actually tell us a story where Tendulkar was a little bit like Jordan. Can you please tell the Henry O'Longa story? (laughs) And it's not the famous Henry O'Longa story. Don't worry. Sacha wasn't working for Mugabe.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny because there is actually a video on YouTube where Ten Sports has gone back to that game and they've interviewed Ramiz Raja, Ranjit Fernando, who were both commentators in that game, and Henry O'Longa. And then they've shown that match. And then there's Henry Olonga who says that I got Sachin out in an early game. He got him basically with a short ball and he was bowling well. Henry Olonga bowled really well in that game. He got him out of a no ball once, I think. And then he bounced him out and Sachin was like surprised. So he just fended and the ball went up in the air and got caught. All right. And then India played Zimbabwe again in the final. And then Henry Olonga in that video, he says that for some reason he got mad at me. And it, it is pretty strange because... There was no point of time when Henry Olonga was behaving like... uh, It was not like he was sledging him or it was not like he was being really nasty to him. It wasn't like he was being a dick, if I may use that word. And I think on Jared Kimber's podcast, I can swear, right? You can say dick. (laughs) So he was being a good bowler and he was pumped up like any good bowler would be, but he wasn't taking it personal. But Tendulkar... He basically came in the final, and it pretty surprised a lot of us who were watching. And any ball that Henry alanga bowled to him, he just swung. He just decided, I'm going to swing. I'm just going to close my eyes and swing. I don't care. I'm going to go after this bowler. And I think what happened was that the commentators, Tony Gregg, if I'm not mistaken, Ranjit Fernando, Ramiz Raja, and the commentators there made that into a fact that Tendulkar was getting back at Alonga. And I think a lot of it was the commentary, but they were trying to build the story of revenge. And saying that, you know, he got him out then, so he's going to go after it. I don't think Tendulkar really meant it that way. I think what he wanted to do was he decided, whatever Olonga bowls at me, I'm going to go. And uh, then the commentators made this into a big deal. But you felt that he wanted to prove a point to Olonga. And that was probably the only time when I can make even a vague comparison between Jordan and Tendulkar, where he came out and he said, OK, this bowler got me out. I'm going to put him in his place. And which is what Jordan did every day. Of his career pretty much and he sometimes even made up enemies there's no reason to make up enemies he just made them up and uh as i mentioned in the piece i mean Tendulkar basically talks about that whole match in one paragraph in his uh, autobiography and he basically says yeah I, uh, I wasn't even batting well i was just slogging but it was just my day and it came off and that's it he doesn't say anything about a long dog or you know that he wanted to get at him nothing absolutely nothing okay let's move on <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Jared. Lovely to chat.
0: Thank you for listening. You can follow my guest at Sidvi on Twitter. I'm also there. You can find my YouTubes and my other podcasts in... I just put my name into Google. Lots of weird stuff comes up. Please review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Please. It does help. I know it does. I hope it does. This podcast is made possible by the people who support us at Patreon. So thank you to everyone who does everyone who doesn't go over there life savings, just put them into Patreon you know I'm going to use them better than you Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber Nick McCorriston, oh oh, isn't he a saucy fellow he looks after your ears and our theme tune is called The Prisoner by The Red Cricket Red Inca listener. Don't forget to also subscribe and listen to Double Century, a podcast where I trawl through old newspaper reports and bitter books from former players to tell the story of our great game. Find Double Century in your podcast apps. Sports Social Podcast Network.